And welcome, everyone, to episode 20 of the Community Cloudcast. I'm your host, uh, Eric Shups, and this month I am joined by my special guest, Laura Rogers. Laura, how are you? Great. Thanks for having me, Eric. I am I'm good. Good to see you. It's been a few months since I've seen you, and uh, it's great to sort of virtually see you. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it has been a while. Um, and, and honestly, my fault for not scheduling you sooner uh, on this call. I should have done it a long time ago. But anyway, you're here now. Uh, we're happy to have you uh, for this month's episode. A reminder to everybody, new episodes of the Community Cloudcast every third Thursday or thereabouts um, of the month follow the same day or the day after by the release on podcast. So if you want to watch us on uh, YouTube and Facebook, uh, you can do so uh, live when it goes out, leave comments there, do what you need to do there. And then on the podcast platforms as well. Uh, and if you obviously podcast doesn't have a feedback loop. So if you want to leave comments, you can come into our YouTube channel uh, via the link there or go to our website at communitycloudcast.com, find the episodes you're looking for and just put some comments in there. And we would love to hear from you with questions uh, for our guests. We'll be happy to pass those on uh, or uh, suggestions for future episodes of content uh, that you want to cover. Now, typically in this uh, cast, we talk about cloud things in general. A lot of Azure, we do some Salesforce and some various different pieces here. But this month we have Microsoft MVP, Laura Rogers, uh, who has a long pedigree in the SharePoint and Office 365 space. So we'll do a bit of a Microsoft-focused show um, this month. Uh, Laura and I have known each other a long time. In fact, we were just chatting before we came on air about the, the first time we were supposed to have met at a conference many years ago and that I had to back out at the last minute because I was having a child. Or I wasn't. My wife wasn't in any event. Um, so we've known each other a long time. Uh, and uh, she's been an MVP for how long now, Laura? Um, I think 12 years. Yeah, long time. Uh, so uh, there have obviously throughout that, uh, over those many years, there have been a lot of changes and things. We've gone from on-prem SharePoint to, to the cloud and whatnot. Why don't you give us a little background quickly, Laura, for our, our uh, viewers about where you've been on your journey um, in this particular area and the sort of things that you're working on now? Sure. Um, I started off, I was back in... 2000 or so, I, I was an exchange admin. So I worked at a big company on the messaging team being an exchange admin. And in 2004 or so, they said, hey, there's this new SharePoint thing here. Go install it on the servers, figure it out, go to training. And um, so they put they lumped that in sort of with messaging because it's collaboration. So um, I got sent to Mindsharp training in Minneapolis. And that's where I met Bill English. And he said, hey, is anybody interested in maybe writing a chapter for this next book that I'm writing, which was SharePoint 2007 was going to be his next book. And I said, I, I'll give that a shot. So that's, um, I wrote the chapter on web on out of the box web parts for the Moss administrators companion. And um, that's where I kind of got my foot in the door with, it's been like seven books since then of just different chapters here and there and speaking at, you know, conferences, you know, all over the world, like we do, it's so much fun. Um, so it's been a great uh, that was a great start to it. And um, I, that, that led me to working for a consulting company and working for Rackspace Hosting. And then all this got laid off. I started my own company about seven years ago. And um, it's training and consulting. IW Mentor, it stands for Information Worker Mentor. And it is online, self-paced, mostly self-paced training with SharePoint, Teams, Power Apps, Power Automate. I've got a couple of really advanced classes with the Power Apps and Power Automate. It's like 20 or 25 hours worth 
Um, but self-paced, you earn certificates and earn points and have a point store where you can spend your points on swag. And um, I, I like to have fun with it and get my students coming back and continuously learning. That's cool. Uh, that's good stuff. So it's been quite a journey uh, that we've all been on and, and we've taken slightly different paths. I was always more on the architect and development um, side where you, you've traditionally been more hands-on with end users and, and the, as it says in the name of your company, the information worker Not side. A programmer. It's been a pretty big change to where we are now in the cloud, hasn't it? Yes, it's, well, it's kind of, it's, that's exactly what I've been doing this whole time because I'm not a programmer. I never learned any code. So I've been doing the note, like even when I was a, a SharePoint admin back at that healthcare company, I, um, and it was SharePoint 2007, I loved building workflows with SharePoint Designer, building forms with InfoPath and automating business processes and all the cool out of the box things that you could do without having to learn code because I'm lazy. I just like automating things because I'm lazy. <laughs> and um, And so those out of the box, I mean, those no code solutions have definitely drastically involved. Now they get a little complex. You still have to understand logic and be smart enough to figure out kind of how to build these automations. But, you know, it, even though you don't know code, it's still, uh, I think it's a lot of fun. And it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely, they keep adding things to that sort of power user repertoire in Microsoft 365. Sure. Well, that's what we're going to talk about uh, today is that sort of evolution uh, of those low-code solutions and how they've come along. Before we jump into our primary topic, just want to thank our sponsors, Aptogen, of course, uh, big recent release for a Salesforce platform, 40 new actions um, there, uh, some updates at the beginning of the year for uh, Power Platform as well. Uh, and you can find any of the Power Tool plugin that you want for Power Apps or Power Automate by just searching um, from the uh, connections uh, and you'll find us in the store. And very easy to add those to your automations. And want to, of course, give a shout out for Laura's company, uh, IW Mentor. So here's the link. You feel free to visit her on the web at iwmentor.com. Uh, I understand you also have a YouTube channel um, as well that you've got like 20,000 something subscribers. You're doing pretty well over there. I do. That's one. That's my Wonder Laura channel. So yeah, I do a little, it's a little confusing with my branding because wonderlaura.com has always been my blog and Wonder Laura was my, is is my YouTube channel. And then that all existed before I started my company, IW Mentor. So yeah, that's what that's where you can find me. So here's some social links um, there as well. Reach out to her on LinkedIn and, and Facebook and Twitter. So yeah, let's jump into it. So let's talk about how this low code, no code um, journey has sort of progressed uh, over time. So we let's let's go back to the 2007 days. So we when we started working in SharePoint, the first thing, of course, people wanted to do is make it not look like SharePoint. Right? So I know you've done some of that work over That's the past true. as well. But the second thing was they really wanted to start using it as a, a uh, beyond a collaboration, but almost like having their own apps. We didn't think about it that way back in the day, but they wanted to have their own apps on this web platform and and use this data that they were putting in with lists and whatnot. Um, and it looking back, hey, it was pretty clunky, but we did some pretty cool stuff back in those days. We did. I mean, I did as much as I could with what what tools I was given with just hacking into things with SharePoint Designer and wrote a ton of blog posts about how to just little hacks like the like the data view web part, which is kind of little known at first. And then you kind of 
realize all the cool things you could do with it back then. Which sadly they killed. Still <laughs> yeah. seen that gone. <laughs> what was it? 2013 came out and yeah. then SharePoint Designer 2013 had no UI, had no WYSIWYG interface anymore for those pages. It's just like, oh, okay, oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's gone. <laughs> yeah. But it so we had this framework, if you will, of we've got pages and we've got lists and we've got web parts um, and web parts just being components that you put on a, on a page, what other uh, frameworks would know as portlets. Uh, and we just kind of cobbled them together to make the solution that we were looking for. Uh, some of us obviously built custom things and we built a lot of custom web parts and whatnot back in the day, but the, there was really a lot there that you could do out of the box. I'm not sure Microsoft ever meant to do it that way or, or to have did. it grow the way that it, that it did. Like you're doing what with our product? <laughs> I, I can remember many MVP summits where we'd be talking to the product team and they're going, you did what? Why? <laughs> and, and also that disconnect between back in the day, Microsoft wasn't nearly involved in the community. In fact, the community grew up without Microsoft, really. Um, but they, they didn't have that ear sort of what the customer was doing and killing things like InfoPath. And, and although I think they knew that one was going to hurt, but killing things like the data fuel web part, I don't think they understood what people like you were doing with it. No, I don't think they did. <laughs> oh, well. And, and those <laughs> they are understand some... now, I think with what they're doing with Microsoft lists and all the, the way it's gone. Now they're coming to realize, but um, back then, yeah, no, they didn't know. Uh, so that puts you in an interesting position. Obviously, you built all these solutions. People need to upgrade, um, you know, their solutions. So now, what do they do? Well, um, they need to run, not walk away from InfoPath at this point, <laughs> because what's the the deadline is originally it's they said 2023 maybe it's been extended to 2026 i'm not sure but um there is is no, there's no product that lets you migrate from infopath to power apps right i mean that doesn't that that hasn't that existed that never existed so i think a lot of companies held out and they thought surely microsoft will give us something that we can just click a button and make this infopath form be a power app it, that's that's not going to happen. So you pretty much have to learn it from scratch. So I love Power Apps. It's, um, it's, I think it's tremendously better than InfoPath. It's just this blank slate. You can make it pretty much do anything you want, and you don't have a lot of the restrictions that we had with InfoPath. And um, you, you can literally do anything. So the thing about it is, it's just a learning curve, and there isn't a well. This is what you used to do in InfoPath. So this is the exact thing you do in Power Apps. There's not like a one to one of all the possible things you could do. You really just have to learn it, and learn like it's just a completely different way of building forms. It's a different mindset. So that's the thing I think that um, message that I try to get out, and I try to show people like very simple things that you can do without, you know, getting, losing hours of your life and making it too complicated. Um, but then, you know, there's just a point where when you want to start doing more complex things like complex, um, uh, I don't know, conditions and different things that you want actions to happen and logic in your forms, it's just kind of hard. And it's just something that you have to buckle down and learn, learn how it works. It's interesting how quickly people forget 
where they've been. One of the conversations that we have all the time is because, of course, we build plugins at Aptogen for Power Apps and Power Automate that that make the hard stuff simple. Uh, Power Apps has a lot of it is not for, in case folks don't know, it is not a no code platform. Power Automate, one could argue, is largely no code. But Power Apps is not. You have to be able to build expressions and functions and know if you want to make it do anything, you've got to get down in there and learn that stuff. And people complain about that. But then you say, OK, well, show me your InfoPath solution. And there's 37 data sources in their InfoPath solution. Like, right now, wait a minute. <laughs> then like 40 actions either. that happen when you click a button. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't as simple. People spend a lot of times a lot of time. I remember the message boards just being lit up all the time with these InfoPath um, questions about uh, doing stuff. So it, there was a learning curve there too. Yeah. You're right. It, it mean, took some work. Yeah, it did. You're right. And it, it's just less, I guess, sort of a friendly UI when you start getting into the nitty gritty and power apps. Maybe that's the, the way it looks like writing formulas that is, I guess, a little bit more intimidating than InfoPath, even though InfoPath, could, you could make it just as complicated. As long yeah. as you can understand logic, you can do either one, though. I think InfoPath benefited in many ways from the office ribbon and the familiarity with the workspace, right? And how building, you, what you basically had was a data viewer web part inside of InfoPath. And you were, because you were building XML and XPath to get all that stuff out. And it was sort of click and click and click and do this. Um, but nevertheless, it was pretty involved. Um, and and customers invested a lot of time in that. Understandably, they're annoyed that they have to move the power ups, but things move on, right? It's never going to stay the same. Right. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure you have students coming in that are trying to make that transition. So what what are the the real hard points that you see that they're trying to get over when they come into power apps? One of the big things that people want to do that um, from InfoPath, from document libraries, is the repeating tables. And that's always just been a big point of contention. Mm -hmm. It's, all, it, it, you know, as soon as you could create an InfoPath form off of a SharePoint list and you could just have the form directly tied to the list and not a document library, you know, back in the day, you you had people realizing that you couldn't, then when you couldn't create repeating tables, like how do you need to have like an expense report with a list of expenses, something like that. Um so that's one of the things in Power Apps that it's you you can do it. It's two different SharePoint lists, but it, it is kind of complicated. There isn't just an easy button where you click insert a repeating table, kind of like an access where you could just it was just a control where you, where you inserted a repeating table and then you told it what the rel related fields were. And then it was just there on your form. It was so easy. But Power Apps, it's, it's not easy. Um, at least Canvas Apps is what I'm talking about. So if, if there's an easy way in model-driven apps to do it, I don't know. I only deal in Canvas apps. Um, so I just want to kind of <laughs> level set on that. But um, you can do it. It's just you have to learn how to do it. You have to learn. It's kind of a pain and it's time consuming. It takes you know, an hour or two to get it all set up. So repeating tables specifically are one of the big things that people, um, you know, that's always been challenging. And then um, like a cascading drop down, that's another huge one that um, you could build an info path and it's still kind of clunky in Power Apps, but you can do it. You just have to learn how Power Apps works. That's all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the Power Apps interface, I think, 
leaves room for improvement in areas where you go beyond just the drag and drop visual components. Uh, I, I'm certainly no expert. I, I really only work with it enough to demonstrate the components and stuff that we're building, but we all the time get support requests of how do we do this, right? Um, and so we'll go build out a quick solution. I, I had to do one the other day that was um, uh, showing images, going out and getting an image and and having one one selection drive another. And that took a little bit of, you know, figuring out, okay, how do I do this? All the tinker toys were there, dating myself, right? All the tinker toys were there and you could build it, but it wasn't necessarily the most straightforward way to get there. Right, right. So I actually have, I, you know, I teach all the fundamentals of Power S, but I actually have one course that I started doing like this solution-based course. So that way you can take the whole, uh, the advanced course and learn how everything works. But then the solution-based course specifically addresses something that everybody wants to build. And that's an approval process. Mm -hmm. So I have one of my courses in, um, in my repertoire is, is how to build an approval process in a power app, a very specific way that I've devised that doesn't involve flow or approval actions. It's just the entire approval process is in the app. All the approvers go to the, the certain screen in the app and they click up in that way. It, the whole interface is very simple and you're learning everything that you learned about power apps fundamentals, but you're using, you're following the steps to build this very specific way that, um, and that's what a lot of people want. They want to just, they want to do one thing. They want to know how to build a certain thing that they want to build. And, and so that kind of addresses it. Cause it, to me, like with, with students, it's a couple of different, you know, people are in a hurry. Some people are in a hurry and they just want to be able to go build a, a quick form at work and they just want to be able to take as least amount of time as possible to do it. And then some people actually want to sit down and actually learn and, you know, spend 25, 30 hours going through every single video and really getting themselves immersed in it and trying everything and going through the labs. Um, but yeah, you, you have people that are in a hurry and they just want a solution like you're talking about of just build this thing for me or just show me how to build this one thing. Well, so this is where we, okay, we can complain about some things in the interface and maybe it's not the greatest, but we work on multiple platforms, Salesforce and Zapier and other platforms. I could tell you Nintex, they're no different, right? It takes a learning curve, right? I Sometimes I sit and stare at Salesforce. I'm just like, I have no idea what I'm supposed oh. to do next because it can be really complicated. And of course, the Salesforce people are like, oh, you just do this and put this here and do that. Okay. It's right, right here. Just two clicks and then, yeah, there's the button. <laughs> yeah. So I'm very much a newbie in, in that world, but we have taken a big step forward from these driven sort of cobbling web parts together all over the place to now you have a, um, a work surface that works on any device, right? Um, that's modern and clean uh, that anybody can build in granted learning curve, but anybody can build in it that hooks up to a proper workflow automation system, right? Not designer, which were never great uh, to begin with. So we really have moved on um, from there and made some great strides. There was difficulty in the middle. You reminded me of access services, right? Which always gives me a little, you know. I used to love it. access back in 2000. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was sort of kind of for about a 18 months there was like, well, you could use this instead of InfoPath because we don't really have an answer. And that, that was a weird time and then it went away. But um, do you find people, once they've sort of gotten over that learning curve, 
do you find that they're really liking this new method? Yeah. Yes, I do. I think that they, when they realize kind of what the capabilities are and then they really get their head around how, you know, how to write formulas, how kind of the different properties and things work, then they kind of, it kind of expands their mind. That's why the pedagogy that I go through, it was very, um, Chris and I thought through it for a while of the order in which to teach power apps, because um, you, I want people to understand fundamental things like, like you're talking about, like the properties and how they work and how just what the controls are and just how things relate to each other in there before even getting involved in any data, mm-hmm. just how the interface works and what, and what everything is. Because I think once people start getting into the SharePoint data, they kind of get overwhelmed with like wanting to do some certain thing with their data and with their form, but it really helps to make sure you understand what you're dealing with first and what everything is. Um, So that's why I kind of like, that's what I do in the training. I make sure and cover all that stuff before I even get to the data so that um, hopefully people won't get overwhelmed with, okay, where's, you know, where's the status field in SharePoint? I just that want that to be right here. Okay. Well, hold on. (laughs) We're not even connected to SharePoint yet. You know? Gotcha. Well, so let's talk about that connectivity piece because this is one of the areas that was always traditionally very difficult. That was in, okay, we're building a solution in InfoPath with SharePoint list. Fine, right? The data is contained. Um, uh, we can argue, and we did argue a lot about whether it was good data, bad data, how it should be related and, and all that. But now we open up the whole can of Dataverse and now you've got exposing data in Teams and now it's actually easy, custom connectors, obviously that you can plug in. It's easier than it ever was to bring in outside and really transform your solutions. That's been a big change. That is huge. Right. It used to be so complicated. And I'm sure for a custom connector, that to me is still very complicated, but there are hundreds and hundreds of data sources. And the person using the app doesn't even have to know that the app is connected to Salesforce and Twitter and SharePoint and Dataverse. And, you know, it could have all those different connections that it's using to just provide an outcome and provide them what they, you know, whatever they need to click on to for their business solution. But yeah, they don't, the end user doesn't even have to worry about it. And you can just keep things fairly, it's more complex to build some of that stuff in the Power App, but it's helpful for the end users to give them a nice, simple UI. So that's, that's one of the huge benefits is it makes things a lot easier for the end users when you're able to provide them a nice, simple interface that you've devised and you have just all the logic automatically happening for them. And it's less places for them to have to go and different pages for them to have to click on Mm -hmm. um, to get their jobs done. Does that make sense? Yeah, we spend a lot of time, I think, um, we, meaning us collectively inside the industry and specifically in our space here, thinking about the maker experience. Whereas it's really one maker to 10 or 50 or 100 or 1,000 end users, right? And it's, it's really and should be about the end user experience, which I have to say, it's pretty darn good. Yeah. Well, my pet peeve is with the um, with the approvals action in Flow. Mm-hmm. So if you do an approvals action, and that's where that's where they point everybody is to the approvals action, and that's where you get stuff approved. But then you have this approval item that it creates that's somewhere in the cloud, and then it pops up in Teams, and it's it's in the Flow interface, and it comes to people's email. But then 
where, you know, that's not actually connected necessarily to the data that you, the thing that you're approving, which is somewhere mm -hmm. else. It could be in a document library. It could be a form in a power app or wherever. So it's that specifically is the main thing that I like to keep more simple for end users. And I like, I take it upon myself to make them not have to deal with all that painfulness and flows timing out and, you know, where, how, why is this not connected to the thing I'm approved and I'm approving and that whole experience. So. Yeah. And that Matt, that problem in many ways manifests itself across the 365 surface, right? So for people coming new to the platform, they, they easily get frustrated by, it seems so disconnected. And and of course we're going. It, it's way better connected than it oh, used to be. Microsoft work very hard to make it more integrated and more, you know, a simple experience. Yeah. And I think there's a certain like you're like of, an yeah. old person. You have no idea what I had to do. Yeah, you, we, we used to walk uphill, boy, <laughs> in the snow. <laughs> uh, in many ways, you have to understand how the sausage is made to 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 get by these things be complex because you have at a minimum three major product groups all working on the same stuff, right? And and two of them are in different silos. So you've got you've got the the entire power automate stack that doesn't live in in ODSP, OneDrive and SharePoint, right? They live over with Dynamics. Um, you've got the the teams that's in their own silo. You've got the SharePoint people doing their stuff. You have the Azure people doing their stuff and everything has to sort of kind of somehow work together and that's hard to do for even as big as Microsoft is or maybe because Microsoft is so big, it's hard to do. Yeah, just think about the concept of tasks alone, where they had tasks in Outlook, tasks in a SharePoint list, tasks in Microsoft to do. There was like another, oh, planner tasks. Planner, yeah. All these different ways you could assign tasks to people. And then Microsoft's been working really hard. They have an entire team of people like that have been working on consolidating to have a task experience. But that's, I mean, yeah, I can imagine how complicated it is because it's all different databases, different and they just want to present the user with one. Okay, here are your tasks. That's all there's to it, you know? Yeah. And there, so there are also some, going back to the maker experience, some frustrations there were, for example, we as a as a external integration partner, if you go in to use one of our tools in Power Automate, it's very easy. You drag it on. All the fields are there for you. You can see what it's supposed to look like. We can give them little tool tips and stuff. And it's a nice, nice. simple experience. Now go to Power Apps. Dot. What's supposed to put in here? Dot. What goes in this field? Yeah, they added that ideas thing, which I think that's they're trying to make it more approachable. But I don't, I don't know how much that helps. Yeah, it's it's difficult. We most of our customer and support requests come through Power Apps because there's just no um, UI mechanism for making that available. But to be fair, we never really had that in InfoPath either. Maybe a little bit because you could sort of click and look at the data, but not really. You still had to kind of know what you were doing. InfoPath only changed like once every four years though, not like every other week. <laughs> yeah, <that's> true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair play. <laughs> so you're obviously um, sort of on the tip of the spear here talking to the end users and, and the makers and whatnot, whereas folks like us are kind of behind the scenes, a lot of filters before we realize that there's something people want to solve inside the product. You mentioned approvals. What are some of the other things that you see that customers that, that are like the repeating, everybody wants a blank? Um, the big, it, it's sort of related to Power Apps and Power Automate. Uh, are you talking about, 
I have an answer, but are you talking about specifically in Power Apps? Are you talking about like Power Apps, SharePoint, everything? Power Apps, SharePoint, yeah, just in your space. This is crazy. I wrote a blog post about three or four years ago about how to create an action button just that shows in your rows in your SharePoint list, a button that will kick off a flow. Uh How to create that button. I get probably a couple hundred hits on that blog post still every day. People are constantly reading that blog post. So it's like that whole concept of using JSON to create buttons and using Microsoft's interface to do conditional formatting in your list and having having an action button that just will quickly do something on a SharePoint list item um, just to make make that easy for end users. Again, I just want them to click a button and have the flow start. I don't want them to have to click a button and then click this and click start and then wonder where it went. And, you know, anyway, so the thing with the button in the SharePoint row, that's like the absolute biggest thing I think that um, in my from my perspective that people um, are interested in doing, which, yeah, yeah. Which, which sounds, it's one of those things that on the surface, well, that should be easy, but... Um, I can't believe I'm having a conversation with Laura about writing JSON code, but you actually have to go in, right, and, and write code. I mean, it's JSON yeah. that you have to configure to, to put in there. Uh, so, it, yeah, that, that's tricky because I try to do all this no code stuff, but you actually, you have to do code to do that. Well, and the whole field customization thing is great idea, right? But we went from having KPI web parts that you could just drop in, boom, there's your stoplights. To now you're supposed to write a bunch of JSON to customize a field, right? To make that same thing happen. It's almost like we've evolved backwards in some places. Yeah, they should create a button that lets you create a button in a row. (laughs) You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create a whole course. I'm going to learn JSON and I'm going to create a whole course on how to write JSON. And then Microsoft's going to create a button that does it. You know what will (laughs) happen. So how much of what you typically work on is switches over to the Power Automate side where you're building automations or, or even training on how to build automations? Well, um, I, I'm constantly building. My main thing that I do is automating business processes. So I'm constantly building forums and and flows for pe- for my customers. Um, but it's it's mainly around what is the business process that we're automating. And that's mostly in the Power App. So I actually like to involve flow as little as possible because there's so many things you can do just automatically, just directly in the power app that you don't need to involve flow for that you used to have to involve a SharePoint designer workflow for Like you can send an email directly from your power app. You can do patching from your power app that will go create items and other lists and things. So a lot of that automation, like those two common things were things we used to have to use workflows for. But so I like to do as much as I can in the power app and then for the parts that are necessary, then I'll go, you know, create a flow to do. I don't ever do use the approvals action, but I'll go create a flow to, you know, somebody needs weekly reminders to go out if things are overdue or um, move some files, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, I do. I, I, I think I'm, I work more in power apps than flow, but um, I, I know flow inside and out pretty much. They keep changing it, too, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It never fails. Well, let's talk about that for a minute because we, we started with the SharePoint designer and, and that was our primary 
workflow mechanism or automation mechanism for many years. Uh, at very basic and very limited uh, in what we could do. But we found, as we did with other stuff, lots of creative ways to work around those limitations. A lot of customers went to third party like Nintex or K2 or, or other solutions because they needed more than what could be offered out of the box. But nevertheless, the same workflow engine sort of ran underneath it. Um, and then, of course, that's been deprecated. And now we've moved to this cloud-based um, I almost hesitate to call it a workflow platform because it's missing so many things that traditional workflow would have. But but we've got this sort of process automation toolkit, for lack of a better word, um, in Flow that is outside of the traditional SharePoint experience. So that was a bit of a transition, right? And then you got to call back into SharePoint. And so it's kind of weird now we've had to move yeah. off the platform to do the basic stuff. That's true. One one huge thing they've just added recently is the ability in your flow interface, when you're looking at all your flow runs, you can add columns there. So at least now you could see which ID in SharePoint each of those flows was associated with without having to, you know, spend two hours digging through, export an Excel spreadsheet and dig through it anyway to find right. the ID. So that's one way they've kind of started tying it together so it's easier to troubleshoot. And do you find that that uh, I don't know how many people that you're working with are just this is brand new to them and they're learning it from the ground up. But do you find there's a bit of a difficult curve for the sort of the old SharePoint folks like us moving on to the Power Automate side? Um, for the old SharePoint, old school people, um, I think that for the people that used to use the like the task process actions in SharePoint designer workflows, they're the ones that are going to start gravitating to want to use the approvals action in flow and just do everything like they used to do with that. Um, I think that the share, yeah, the SharePoint old school SharePoint people have kind of been hesitant to go to flow. I, I was at first like, you know, five years ago or whatever, when it was still very, very clunk, clunky, but I think it's a matter of, kind of getting them to realize that it is very powerful and you can accomplish all the same things. You just have to get used to, you know, like you said, going to a completely different screen. Um, yeah, I think they've embraced it. I don't think they're, I don't think anybody's still using SharePoint designer workflows. They might get a little frustrated at flow, but uh, once they realize uh, the capabilities and, you know, how you, can pretty easily do things you used to be able to do, um, then it's helpful. Yeah, I think the on-prem folks are still, well, they're still tied to InfoPath for that matter, but they're they're still kind of holding on for as long as they can. <laughs> I talked to somebody the other day that had they had moved to the cloud and they were still creating subsites. And I was like, don't create subsites. That's not a thing anymore. You're Microsoft has actually turned that off by default now. Like they really don't want you creating subsites. And they're like, well. I don't know. My IT department is not going to be happy if I, you know, try to get them to let me, you know, create a site collection. I'm like, tell your IT department to go read the microphone. Like, I don't know. Like, how, I don't know. How can they not know things like that? But like you said, people are still on-prem and people are still maybe just kind of immersed in what they have been doing in classic mode. And they don't even realize necessarily the extreme amount of innovation that's gone on in the cloud. And, um, how things are done now. It's well, it, so it's much funny of that it. You that. <laughs> yes, so much of it is counterintuitive though in the cloud. So subsites are make intuitive sense to people because they're used to like a folder-based hierarchy. Hierarchies make sense to people. 
um, having a site with sites beneath it, people don't balk at that. And they understand, okay, we never did rolling up and stuff very well, but they understand the concept, right? We just didn't implement it. Well, I mean, we and SharePoint all up. Uh, but then you move to the cloud and Microsoft is doing this counterintuitive thing where it's this flat architecture and there's, you have to sort of wire things together. We went in, in, you know, it's 2023. We've gone all the way back to 2003, right? Um, where we have areas that we're connecting our sites to, right? So we're back to portal areas and portal sites. Oh, right. right. Because what hub sites and site collections are, right? They're, they're portal areas, right? We just yeah. we went back 20 years. but it's People don't grok that because, at least in my experience, because it's counterintuitive. And and when you're building, for example, building a power app or, or, or a flow, now there's a button, click it, go create it from within SharePoint. Great. But it's a totally different experience. It's an out of SharePoint experience, right? right? And flow, I find, is not intuitive for SharePoint people because we think list-driven when we build stuff. Well, Power Automate doesn't work that way. You're starting from a trigger or some event that happens, and it's not really list-driven from the way that it it functions. Yeah. So there, there, it's it's a weird thing that we sort of turned it on its head. That's true. That's true. And then even when you when you get a Power App involved, you you can still just have that be your front end interface and still have your flows that are triggered off of something happening in SharePoint, and you can just not do any of the automation in the power app and just still have the flows like wherever people coming to SharePoint have them still just editing the list directly or opening the power up wherever they do. And then the flow can still just be triggered when, when the item is modified, but yeah, it's those, it's really like when an item's created or modified, those used to be the, pretty much the only SharePoint actions you have, but flows got a huge benefit that um, you didn't really have with SharePoint designer workflows is that you can click on an item in SharePoint and have the flow triggered off of that item. Wait, we did we sort of have that? We could manually trigger that. Kind of, yeah. yeah, do yeah. it in the old days. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, but it's those main two actions that you just get overwhelmed when you go into flow because it's got like 30 SharePoint actions and the created and modified were really the main ones that people are used to working with. Mm -hmm. They're most yeah. important, still the most frequently for me that I use. Do you find the the whole and this is a licensing driven thing we always hesitate to even venture anywhere near the licensing black box but do you get frustration or hear frustration or or feedback on the whole premium connectors thing that we have to go to premium connectors just to use a thing that we want to do to connect to something um yes uh my audience it seems are mostly small and medium size people that work for small and medium businesses and a lot of them are the SharePoint person or the Microsoft 365 person that's in charge of everything. And, and those kind of companies can't necessarily afford just anything beyond just like, you know, the E3 or E1 or E3 licenses that everybody has. So um, they pretty much, those companies pretty much avoid anything that's going to be a premium connector. So when we get in a conversation with people, it's usually, okay, well, they'll think, well, what's this Dataverse thing? Or can I have this SQL database or, and it's like, okay, well, it's SQL or Dataverse. That's going to be that whole premium connector con con concept. And then people say, well, can we just have a shared connector and just have everybody use the Power App? Well, no, the Power App is going to count 
every single person that uses the power app, actually it, it's going to look at what their license is. And the people are always trying to figure out workarounds and trying to get us to figure out workarounds to that. There is no workaround. Um, the workaround is to not use those more powerful databases. SharePoint is not a database, but a lot of people use it as a database because that's what they can afford. They can afford the premium databases. Um, but one of the main things, one of my favorite things that's a premium connector that um, that's like the one thing that I always like to use as a premium connector is um, just use SharePoint lists as your data source. But people love to have like a printout and that mm -hmm. word template action. That's uh, it's a word action in flow is mm -hmm. so awesome. I'll just say, you know, get this premium connector just to be able to use this, to be able to have a word template that you just plop all the fields in. And then you have like this printout mm -hmm. of your, your form or, or whatever it is. And it's just so easy to manage as opposed to all the kind of what you have to go through with something like quick parts that you used to do. Oh, quick parts. Yeah. Another <laughs> taking me back again. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I, I pretty much, I don't deal with premium connectors much because of my customer base. They can't afford it. Yeah. It's, it's a strange, we, we obviously hear it all the time because you can't use external connectors unless you have a premium connector. License, right. So we get it. We'd love to use your stuff, but we can't because we can't license, you know, premium connectors for 5,000 people. Right. Yeah, I get it. Um, it's not our decision. It's some you know weird Microsoft thing that I my opinion, I think they're hurting adoption of the platform um, by not freeing that up and figuring out some better way uh, to do it. I obviously have a stake in that game. So, you know, maybe I'm a little biased there, but it, I hear that same thing that you're hearing. And that's why I asked that question. We hear that all the time people trying to find Can you just get me a workaround to that so we don't have to pay all those licenses <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so where do you see um this moving going forward um we've gone through this journey of trying to cobble together um you know a lot of different things and get to the point where we are now understandably microsoft made some missteps along the way and probably will continue to do so but they had a really hard job of moving all this stuff to the cloud and getting it cloud native and we're still you know they're still trying to overcome a lot of that legacy stuff and, and get there what, what do you see going forward for in the power platform space specifically power apps and and flow in terms of user experience and maker experience hmm, that's a great question um I feel like the more Microsoft can get a, a, a handle on get an understanding of what people are doing. In my perspective, I'm all, it's all business processes and automating forms and workflows. If they can understand truly the sort of typical things people want to do with, with their products and they, they've done a lot of sort of templatizing things. They've started, you know, they have list templates. Now they have, template like prettier forms in Microsoft forms. Now they've realized that like, people love templates, but um, I think that there's a big potential with power apps and like common things people want to do, not with premium connectors <laughs> that has potential for something that could be more of a template. People, people want to build all of their office forms. You know, you might have 50 forms for your company that all need to be electronic forms and they want to build those all as power apps, but they want to be able to have a template. Let's just create the for first form that looks like this and to be able to create all your other forms. Well, all the other forms have all these drastically different fields and different business processes and different approval levels. And they pretty much you pretty much have to start from scratch for <laughs> for every single one of them. 
but if there if there would be a way where they can sort of capitalize on okay what are the common things that people need to do with their forms like um, tell it the number of approvers, tell it who the approvers are, tell it what order they need to go in or if it's serial or parallel and where the approvers are coming from and be able to build. They they started to do this. Remember fossil forms oh, on yeah. SharePoint lists? Oh, yeah. They started to kind of address that whatever team was in charge of that with like an approval that they were building in there. Um, but that, that, you know, that product didn't quite make it. But um, I think that, for for what I do and for what a, a lot of my customers and students do, um, they would love to be able to save time in building their forms and have something that's more of like a template or components, not really what they need for that. A component is like a template, but it's um, like the, the the data concept and, you know, it doesn't have data in it. And so I don't know how they would do it, but I think it's a need. It would be nice. Well, at one point we had an office gallery, like a Word forms and Excel forms gallery. You could just go and pull, it's probably still there for all I know. You could go pull down all sorts of templates and, and whatnot. Why couldn't they do the same thing for Power Apps? Well, they, they have templates. They just all have like embedded data sources, like spreadsheets as their data source. Mm-hmm. So all the, the templates are a good learning tool for kind of learning how to do like little things here and there, but it's, it's harder. It t- it's more time consuming to take the template and try to put your data in it than it would be mm. to just start all over and create I a brand see. new power app. So yeah, they, they have templates, but they're not quite, I don't see, I don't know. I mean, I think that they want to point everybody towards Dataverse. So that's where it gets tricky because I don't think they're going to want to put templates with SharePoint lists in the templates. Uh, mm. or I don't know technically how that would work. You know, that's mm. much more complicated than just putting a spreadsheet inside of it. Sure. Sure. Well, and easier to redistribute, right? Because the data source is self-contained, but that's yeah. not what people are doing. <laughs> right. That's not what, yeah. In in, yeah. in my world, that's not what people are doing. So what about on the flow side? Where where do you see the evolution of, of the flow product uh, going? What are things they could improve there? Um, the big complaint that I hear a lot is the whole approvals timeout thing. People do really want to use that approvals action. And that's the that's one of the big blockers is that that action times out after 30 days and then the flow airs out and then, you know, the approvals aren't waiting for people anymore. Um, that's a big one. And then if so, like you know, I've been complaining about the approvals action and how I never use it, but there are things that could be done to improve it, like build in some sort of way to have overdue a due date concept, build in a way that you can have um, more visibility into them, address the timeout, or, or at least have a good way to work around it. And then um, uh, what else is complicated in flow? Um, this The part in flow where in SharePoint where you want it to query to get a list of, to get items or get files, but you have to write that camel query. Mm-hmm. That's another kind of weird, mm-hmm. awkward thing that um, could, seems like it could be a better um, WYSIWYG interface for that. Yeah. So one of the things I'd love to see is a, is more integration, meaning why can't I define in flow? I want to collect this data from the user. These are the fields. These are the input types and have it generate a power app that users could then just click on. And I don't have to go to power apps. I don't have to store it somewhere else. I don't have to create it. 
right? It just automatically creates a quick form for data collection because we need that in so many places in a process. I need this data so this process can move on. Here's a quick form, blah, 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 done. Yeah. Right, that would be cool. Yeah, and and it does that in SharePoint list, but then you have your form attached to the list and then you have all these negatives to having your form right. on the list, which is like the huge benefit though, like you just said, is the fact that it just works and it just builds the form for you and it's got everything it just it's got a save button it's got the cancel button it's got edit it all just works with the sharepoint item but then when it's a form that's uh directly attached and when it's a power app on the list then you have things like you can't take the whole thing and export it yeah and have backup copies and have um anyway just there's just some negatives to it i think they've been addressing them like they're going i think they said something about lists are going to take the power app with them like when you have a list template and you has a power app, maybe they're they're gonna tie it together better somehow so that when you create another list from the power app, to create another list from the existing list, it would actually have the power app too. So that would be a that would be nice if they um are doing that or if they are planning on doing it. But yeah, that's that's exactly right. Just click a button and it creates the power app and then not have so many negatives that make me want to tell people not to do, <laughs> to do that in the long run. It's a bad idea. <laughs> How are your students um, coping with the constant rate of change? I mean, this is an issue for all of us, obviously, in the cloud, but they come to you, they learn something, they go back and work on it. Two weeks later, Microsoft changes it. Are they saying, well, now I got to come back. You got to constantly update your content, right, to keep at pace. That's a that's a struggle. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of, in a lot of my training, I've focused on, teaching them the fundamental concepts. So even though I've spent, I've been spending the hours and hours like re-recording things, most of what I'm re-recording is just to have the interface look like what they're seeing on their screen, just so that it doesn't look like it's really old training, you know? But um, I think that I haven't, I've realized that I haven't had to reteach or teach things differently as far as like those main fundamental concepts of how to build power apps, which is good. So it's really just like the button for creating a variable is over here now instead of on this menu. But you're really variables are the same concept and the variables themselves haven't changed. So mm -hmm. I find that all the main concepts are pretty stable. And when the new shiny thing comes along every now and then I can go like record a new training module and you know put that in the training. But I think it's good that the changes and improvements they're making aren't having like a severe impact on those fundamental concepts of just how to use power apps. They're not rocking people's world too much. It's just, you know, it's more cosmetic, I guess. And, and shiny new things like power apps has a new like power apps cards thing that I need to create training for. But um, mm -hmm. people, people don't seem to be clamoring as much to get, whatever the as quickly get the, the shiny new thing um in their brains or you know learn it as much as they are just wanting to do simple things like create forms and put logic in their forms is that's what i find so if i'm i know nothing about power apps maybe i'm new to the microsoft 365 world right um and i'm just getting started um in this do you have um, a, a set of content that they could come and say, I'm a beginner, I want to become an expert, and they could sort of go at their own pace through that um, training. And then 
you know, I don't know if it takes a week or two weeks or a month or whatever it takes, but they have a pretty high level of confidence after that, that, hey, now I can jump into this thing and be productive. Yes, I, I do. And I have a, a, a syllabus and an order presented that I recommend. Now, of course, people are going to kind of want to jump in different places because they might already know SharePoint. They might already know modern SharePoint. And then they would just kind of jump in starting with the Power Apps. But I do. I have Power Apps Basics I, is a free course. I can give you the link to that. And um, so anybody can take the Power Apps Basics course, which is about an hour. And that gives you just kind of more high level and simple things that you can do like customizing a SharePoint list. But then I, um, then my power apps advanced class is about 12, no, wait, 20, 12 to 20 hours. It's a lot. I keep adding to it, <laughs> but, um, the power apps advanced class has got, and that's where you go through that, the full course with quizzes and labs, you know, with, with all, all the modules that kind of really make it sink in. And um, but yeah, so I do have a, a sort of an order of the syllabus of the way to take all the different courses, like all the SharePoint ones and the Power Apps and Power Automate. But once you're once you're in those advanced courses, it's um, you just kind of follow along and it's just, a, you know, it's a learning platform where you just keep clicking continue and watching videos. All right. Well, that's very cool. Um, so what and what about if someone is is you know, they're kind of halfway through it. They're like, okay, I got into this and, and, you know, I think I kind of doing, and then they go, oh, ruh -ruh, there's some advanced stuff here that, that I need to know. Can they, it, it's self-paced, right? So they can just jump in at the point where they need and, and learn. Right. And it's all indexed. It's searchable. So if I want to oh, learn cool. variables, I have a search box at the top of every course and I can just type variables and it will take me to the list of all the video. It like, it indexes all the videos, everything I'm saying in the videos too. So it would take you to the video and tell you all the spots, all the minutes in the video where I mentioned that word. So you can go click and go to that exact place. So if you are looking to do something very specific or a specific concept, you can just search it and go directly to that, that video. Wow. Very cool. Awesome. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for uh, today. Lauren, I can chat uh, probably forever uh, on these topics, uh, but we have to end this uh, webcast at some point. So uh, give another shout out here to Laura's company. Uh, you can get more information there. Laura, if you'll send me that link for the, the free training, I'll put it in the description of the video um, sure. so folks can go uh, and check that out. Uh, also want to mention again, just released our new monthly feature with myself and Rob Vogue. This comes out on the, I think we're shooting for the second Thursday uh, on these. Uh, we just recorded a new one all about search. Uh, and so that'll be coming out uh, next month as well. Uh, and so you can see uh, that or this month, I'm sorry, uh, should have already come out by the time you see this um, uh, webcast. So you can check that out. It's on the same channel available there. Uh, just a little bit different content, very much Microsoft um, focused, but a lot of information architecture and, and so some higher level um, stuff and a few trips down memory lane. Because like Laura, Rob and I have been around this thing for a long time. Tell um, them a little for me. <laughs> I will. I will. Plenty of war stories uh, to share. Uh, thank you again to our sponsors, Aptogen, uh, the Bifocal uh, Show with Jason and John. You can check that out. And then uh, for those of you more on the Salesforce side, uh, you can check out Paul's uh, Salesforce user group uh, that they meet every month online as well as um, in person. A huge thanks, Laura. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It's good chatting with you. Long, um, and I hope to see you in person again. Thankfully, now we get to go back to conferences in person. 
Yes. <laughs> and so hopefully I will see you again um, soon. That's all we have for this month. And we will see everybody next month.